Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the Ambulatory Care Pharmacy podcast. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen in as members sit down to discuss what's new and ongoing in the world of ambulatory care. My name is Leanne Mobade. I'm a PGY2 ambulatory care resident at the Northern Navajo Medical Center in Shiprock, New Mexico, and I will be your host for today's podcast. With me today, I have Starlin Hayden Greeting, a pharmacoepidemiologist and population health clinical program director with the Illinois Pharmacists Association, Christina DeRemer, a clinical associate professor at the University of Florida College of Pharmacy, and Jessica Bianco, a pharmacotherapy specialist in ambulatory care at Tampa General Hospital. So thank you for joining us today, Starling, Christina, and Jessica. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump in and get started with today's topic, technology platforms used to conduct telehealth visits. Um, so if each of you could just start off describing your clinic setting and the telehealth services provided by pharmacists. Um, we'll go ahead and start with Starlin. Hi, thank you. Um, I am the director of a chronic disease and medication management health service network, and we provide services for self-insured employers, and we have six self-insured employers with about 1,200 patients, and we utilize 35 uh, pharmacist educators. And previous to COVID, we met uh, the employees at the work site or at a pharmacy closest to their choosing. And we did provide some telephonic consultation when there was weather or they had transportation issues or any other social determinative health issue, we would uh, make sure that we kept patient engagement. And then after COVID, we went totally telephonic, telehealth, tele-anything. Great. Thank you. And how about you, Christina? Yes, thank you. So I'm an ambulatory faculty, which gives me about 40% time in my clinic. So I've rounded that out to about two days in my practice site, but we're able to extend the presence of our pharmacy personnel in this rural clinic to four days with the use of our PGY2 ambulatory residents. So this is a rural-based clinic, it's, uh, basically a doctor's office that has about five physician providers, and we have a new nurse practitioner that joined us during the COVID period, um, and it services a five-county region. So like um, most rural sites, these patients really thrived on that face-to-face. So prior to COVID, other than a telephonic, um, which we were building our chronic care management or our CCM telephone calls with the patients, we did not have any video access. So this actually was a catalyst for us to move into that realm. We had talked about doing uh, video conferencing with specialists in our big city of Gainesville, which is about 40 miles from our rural site, but hadn't yet made a connection with a specialty service to even start the process or have the equipment. So post-COVID, we moved into the virtual platform of using telehealth, and Zoom was our platform that we used solely because it was a UF-approved platform. And we really helped with patients who had mainly with the pharmacy group type 2 diabetes, um, a little bit of hypertension, although that had its challenges doing over a video. Um, Anticoagulation, we actually had the patients still come in, and I can always explore how we did that, but we needed to check physical INRs with them. 
I did not move our tobacco cessation into that virtual platform, although I know some have successfully been able to do that. And as we were building our COPD and our osteoporosis screenings, those had were not moved into that um, telehealth platform. So this gave us a new opportunity to grow. It's still kind of a baby steps for us. We were able to do some video um, telehealth with our patients and they really seem to receive it well. But as a rural site, we faced quite a few barriers that we had to overcome also. Great. Yeah, it's interesting how quickly things have to change once COVID started. Yes. Um, and then finally, uh, Jessica, if you could give us a little bit of your background. Sure. Um, I work for Tampa General Medical Group, which is a group of 16 um, ambulatory clinics within the TGH or Tampa General Hospital healthcare system. Um, we have a pharmacist in nine of those 16 clinics. So we did utilize telehealth prior to COVID um, via Skype. And that was mostly for our patients that lived very far away from a clinic that had a pharmacist. Um, otherwise, you know, the patients would just drive for face-to-face -face visits to see us. Um, we provide chronic disease state management as well as anticoagulation services. After COVID, we went to 100% telehealth with our pharmacists working from home um, pretty much the majority of the week. For anticoagulation, though, we had our phlebotomists in our clinics do the point of care testing. Um, it then got entered into the computer system and then the pharmacist would um, utilize doximity to call the patient and go over the INR and dosing, so on and so forth. So doximity really was our most used platform, but we did use a couple other um, platforms, and I think we're going to get into that later in the podcast. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you. Um, so just kind of jumping into the meat of this here, um, starting with Starlin, just can you kind of talk about what are some general considerations for setting up a telehealth service? Well, first, you need to pay attention to your, your state rules and regulation and laws and whether pharmacists are involved in that telehealth language. Most at this point after COVID, everything has been kind of fixed, but still pay attention to your own state laws. Also, there are requirements based on the payer, whether it's government or commercial. And even though the federal government has things set up, you still need to pay attention to your regional max if you're doing Medicare and what their rules and regulations are. And, and so that I have, to have to, I have to say that. Second, in every mode, no matter who you're working with or who the payer is, there needs to be a patient consent. The patient needs to consent to the fact that they're going to be in this telehealth, televirtual world. And at that time, you also need to do a needs assessment of the patient on their ability to use the technology and if they can or can't not. Second is setting up a workflow so that you can utilize your staff to help you with setting up appointments and follow-up appointments and reminders. So you, you need to Plot that all out ahead of time in a workflow so that your, your medical assistants or your pharmacy techs or your students can help you set up those appointments and do follow up. And then your appearance. Um, you're still, you still need to look professional and be professional. So even though sometimes, um, like on this podcast, you can't see me, but I put on my uh, suit coat so that I can feel professional. And then I come across professional and always smile. Do anybody else have any ideas on, on uh, how, how you started your setup? 
Well, Starlin, I can comment on that. This is Christina. Our setup was really uh, the catalyst was COVID and we had been talking and had a great interest. So sometimes things that we can't get accomplished, um, you know, maybe a pandemic can bring about a change that actually I think is going to be of huge benefit to our patients. So now we have this platform that's secure. We have reviewed and talked about our flow of care and how we're going to have patients who may be selecting out certain types of patients that have the technology resources. So as to your point of using your extenders to really help identify and organize the scheduling of these patients and assisting them in setting up their calls and use of technology is really, really important to ensure everyone um, the flow and the time is being used to the best benefit. So we really enjoyed kind of the opportunity that we had here. And I'll talk about in the next section, some of the cons that I, we faced while going into this setting though. Okay, great. Um, so then going into the specific platforms, uh, what platforms have you used to conduct your telehealth visits? And we'll start with you, Christina. Oh, okay. So I we've only used Zoom. Um, and a little bit of that is really because UF had created and marketed like a secure Zoom within our Epic system as well as for the university itself. So we didn't have the need or really required to go explore some of the others, although I've heard some of my colleagues really speak highly of some of the other platforms. Um, so I only have with the, the video conferencing Zoom experience. Okay. And uh, Jessica, how about you? Um, so at Tampa Journal Medical Group, we have actually utilized several different platforms. Um, initially, prior to COVID, we were only using Skype for video calls. Um, we've now transitioned to Microsoft Teams um, from Skype. So that's how we're doing video calls from one computer to another. Um, for just telephone calls, we use Doximity. And we actually had our PGY2 resident implement Zoom meetings for our diabetes classes. Since we were only allowed to have a small group meet at one time and we had to social distance and have six feet apart, we went to the virtual platform for all of our DSME classes. Um, and so we utilized Zoom for that. And then our video platform was Amwell initially, and we were having a lot of problems with it, a lot of issues with the video quality, dropping calls. Um, if the patient was using their phone and they got a phone call while they were in the virtual wa waiting room, they would get kicked out of the waiting room. So we've since transitioned to Teladoc. I don't have really any experience with it other than I went through the training today actually for Teladoc. Um, but it seems like it's going to be great. They have so many additional services where you can add um, a provider to the, to the visit. You can add an additional family member to the visit. You can utilize their language line for patients that don't speak English. Um, and so it, it seems like it's going to be a really great platform for us. Yeah, that's great. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes for you guys. Christina, did you have any specific pros and cons that you'd like to touch on with, with Zoom, since that's primarily what you guys have used? So the main pro, I would say, is I think it's 
widely accepted and people are pretty familiar with it. Um, so you can get it through kind of a secure, more healthcare type platform. And we would send patients links through if they were using a MyChart, or we could also email it outside if they were struggling with access through the MyChart. One of the cons I noticed when it was only pertaining to our rural site is when they would access their Zoom link through Epic, we oftentimes would find that they would be randomly kicked off. And what we were struggling with is that a um, connection through Epic platform, or was it that their internet or um, bandwidth for their technology wasn't strong enough to carry it? However, when they would do outside through the UF portal of Zoom, we would find that to more sustain their calls. I would say technology as a whole was just a barrier that we faced in any platform. So I don't know that it's a fault of Zoom, but we had a lot of our patients just not have the technology that was required to really do telehealth in a video format. So not having internet, not having email addresses. So that was one of the things that we needed to work around um, and or just decided not to use video depending on the content we were trying to cover for patients. One of the things that worked really well for us too is that we had extra rooms with the way COVID flowed and we actually um, have an opening for a physician that allowed us to use some of our patient care rooms for patients to sit in that room. We could support the technology for them while maintaining appropriate distance between the provider who was also in the clinic. So one of the unique things for us is we never left the clinic. We never shut our doors. And even when we were using these um, telehealth platforms, they were being done from the clinic as a whole out to the patients in their home. And I agree with Starlin's comment is you had to really discuss with the patient and ensure they understood what it was you were asking of them because we oftentimes had patients show up outside the doors for their appointment, not truly understanding what it meant for them to log into the email um, despite having conversations on the phone. So I think the change in approach was something that we also had to go around, which doesn't have anything to do with the technology, has to do with the setup and the flow and the communication to the patients. So this is Starlin. I'd like to um, add in because I have, we used every platform that was available to us and every method of uh, communication. And with the CMS relaxing the HIPAA rules, it allowed us to have some flexibility. So in our patient population, we have the majority of our patients are 55 to 65, and most of them are grandparents. And oddly enough, at Christmas, a lot of them were given portals. <laughs> so that that's a Facebook um, piece of technology that works off of the internet, and it you 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 use it just like the Facebook uh, Live, and that portal actually allowed us to simplify the technology so that we could see patients face to face, or they make sure that they could show us their injection sites, or we used it to teach them how to do their own blood pressure. So it was a great tool. We're seeing patients that are employed. So it was nice that that little piece of technology ended up being an add-on and has really helped us in in that future. And, And it's easy for the technology deficit people to use and they can, uh, they, you know, their grandkids set it up for them. And they, and so now they've got a picture of me and they just put the point to the picture and, and I come up on the portal. And so I'm hoping that that portal process bleeds on into other people's platforms so that it's, it's a touch 
process so people aren't, aren't so um, intimidated by the technology. Yeah, great. Um, so kind of based on, on what we're just talking about here, which platforms have you found to be the most user-friendly for your patients? Um, Starlin, if you have anything additional to add, and then we'll go to Christina. Well, everything that's Facebook, everybody is using anything Facebook or some of the apps on with our, our, we see diabetes patients and cardiovascular patients. So they're getting app friendly with, with monitoring their blood glucose. And so that was helpful. Um, the other issue we had was ba- with bandwidth in the certain areas when everybody went online, even a large urban center where there are boosters, the like, you know, we were just talking about people getting kicked off Zoom. The more you loaded up these systems and, and certain times of the day, people got kicked off and they thought they had done something wrong. So you have to you have to always have that backup plan using a telephonic process so you can call them back and say, it's okay, we'll carry on. You know what I'm saying? Making it very supportive so that they don't think they've done something wrong because there are certain times of the day where no matter what platform you have, when everybody's on it, there's not enough uh, bandwidth for the entire nation to be <laughs> televirtual. Yeah, definitely. Um, Christina, how about you? I have to say it's not exciting, but our most successful platform was still telephonic, just that plain old telephone. And we didn't use any of the other um I guess new modalities that they've created with like Doximity because we were calling right from the clinic. So we were using telephone numbers that patients were used to seeing pop up. We still had our call center for patients that were returning calls. Um, So really in our environment, again, I was in a rural setting with all of our patients really struggling a lot of times with the cost of the technology that it, whether it be internet or email, we found just calling them on their phone was great. So we did run into situations where people also had telephone issues. I have one patient in particular who, if he's in his house, he will not get our phone call. So he's like, call back more than once because he's, I'm in and out of my house all day. So sometimes when we had more pressing issues to reach him regarding, we don't have a great platform. So we work with those patients to really set up the communication through my chart. So if they do have email or they do have internet or they get online in any way, we can message them that way. That's a little less reliable with our current patients, but I know some of the other clinics within the UF system actually work really well using my chart as a communication modality. I would say as a third to that would be the video um, platform being Zoom because so many people are uncomfortable with that technology when you're turning to medical care. It's growing, it's emerging, but just out of the gates right now, I still think think that was probably our third most effective. Yeah, we um, here also have similar, it's very rural, and we've pretty much just stuck to phone calls as well. So I definitely understand that and how that could be the, the easiest. Um, Jessica, how about uh, you? What have you guys found the most user-friendly? Yeah, I'll have to second exactly what Christina said. Um, telephone seemed to be just the most user-friendly, the most widely accepted by our patients. Because our pharmacists were working from home, um, we did utilize Doximity to, you know, mask our phone numbers. Um, And it was great because there was very little setup or training involved. It didn't require anything of our patients. All they had to do was answer their phone like they normally would. So they didn't have to be tech savvy, have internet access, 
have an email address, have access to the app store, that kind of stuff. Um, so it was very user-friendly for the patient as well. And then, you know, I would say probably our least user-friendly was Amwell. And, and just because of the calls being dropped, the bandwidth issue, and also you had to make your appointments in both the EMR and in the Amwell app for the patient. So it just was kind of double the work when it came to making appointments for the patients. Again, telephone proved to be the most user-friendly for us as well. Okay, great, thank you. I think that leads us perfectly into our next question of how can providers care for patients who are unable to use the video and the internet platforms? I know we've touched on that a little bit, thinking of our elderly patients, which most likely is a majority, or patients who don't have internet at home. Um, Starlin, we'll start with you. So the first thing, as I said, you need to create that workflow so you have your assessment skills. So in a telephone, I know people have time limits. So if you can write things out that you need to cover and explain to the, the person on the other end that you've, you've got some things that you need to, to collect information on first, and then you'll have some, you know, so, so just let them know that. Um, you have to be more open and transparent because you can't see each other's face. So oddly enough, when you smile and talk, so I'm smiling right now and talking. And so hear my voice. And then if I frown, my voice goes down and then I, I don't sound as friendly. Right. So smiling when you talk, calling them by the name that they want to be addressed at and and making sure that you create this warm and positive environment and then that that information flow will happen quickly and then you can open it up to making sure it's patient-centered and they can ask their questions. We spent the first six weeks trying to reduce the stress. They already had diabetes distress and now the COVID is there and every news uh, feed was talking about how people with diabetes are at a higher risk. So our first sets of calls were really more about uh, behavioral support and making sure that we are able to uh, explain some of the some of the myths and that were on on the television and explaining to them this telephone call is two way when you need to contact one of us please contact the 888 number and we'll reach back out to you we want to be a support in your system. So when they know they're able to call back, then it relaxes the call and it allows them to be able to go, oh, I forgot to ask you and, and that sort of thing. So it carries that process forward. The other thing is, is, is sometimes you do need to see a picture. Sometimes they have a sore on their foot. And, and, and even though they may not have a smartphone, they may have the ability to a, a brief phone that can take pictures so that they can take a still picture and then send that to you. Or, or we sent information on still shots that can be sent to them through their phone. Their data set is a, an issue you have to be uh, mindful of. And also it's going to take more time. So if we only get 30 minutes because of the billing process, I'm going to tell you it's going to take you 60 minutes because it, it takes longer to convey the same information 
over a telephone so that because it takes longer for you to explain it when we're face to face and when we're televisual we have signs and and instruments and and diagrams and things that we can use when you're trying to describe something on how to retest your blood sugar for example you have to walk very slowly through the test and you have to give them time to acknowledge that because otherwise it's just silence on the other end and you have to you need to be very engaging so that you can understand if they're relating to the conversation that you're having. Yeah, those are some great points. Um, Christina, do you have anything that you'd like to add? The only thing I would add, and it kind of ties into, I know what we're going to talk about next, is really staying focused. And I think, Starlin, you're right. Things are going to take longer to convey. So really approaching these phone calls, if you don't have these other platforms, with a really focused intent and starting the call off with a, here's a plan of what I want to accomplish on the phone call. Is this what you think we need to accomplish also and kind of coming to that focused agreement on a singular topic also allows you to cover to the depth that's necessary for that singular topic. Oftentimes for our people with diabetes, um, to use that also as an example, you know, you're covering and talking about their glucose management with the pharmacotherapy, the exercise and the diet. And then we also would sandwich in hypertension management along with ASCVD, all these various components for a holistic view of our patients when we could see them or when we had them in the office. That's far too much information to cover with most patients over the phone. Um, so we would break it up into smaller sessions and say, well, today we're going to focus on the glucose because last time that was the most out of range element and we made some dosing changes. How does that sound to you? They would say yay or nay. If they're somebody who had a blood pressure cuff at home, then we would pivot and say, well, next time I'm going to call you, we're going to talk about just your blood pressure unless you're having problems with your glucose. And I think as long as you keep the focus so you don't necessarily also make these phone calls exorbitantly long, you lose the interest of the patients. Um, finding ways to get them to read back and verify, write things down and say it back to me to create those tools that Starling was mentioning to authenticate that people really understanding what you're saying, I think is really important. But a telephone can be an extremely effective way of working with patients and continuing their progress, especially in people who you already have a relationship with. So all the people that we called were people that we had met in person, that we had already built a little bit of a relationship with. So it wasn't a random phone call also, which I think complemented that platform for us. Yeah, that's great. Um, Jessica, any, any final thoughts? Um, I know I, ju- I second um, what Starlin and Christina said um, regarding telephone. It's been a great tool for us, but keeping the conversation short, um, especially if you're providing, you know, initial diabetes education to your patient. Sometimes in person, it takes 45 minutes to an hour and most people don't want to be on the phone that long or don't have the concentration for that length of time just over the telephone. So one of the things that we did was we broke up the education over several visits. So instead of following up maybe in a month, we would follow up in two weeks to provide additional education for that patient. Great. Thank you. Um, And then just to kind of wrap everything up here, uh, what are some lessons learned with a variety of platforms that you would like to share with with other pharmacists that may be listening today? Uh, We'll go ahead and start with Darlin again. I want to reiterate that there needs to be a preformed workflow and, you know, set those goals that are reachable, just like everybody is explaining. You, you're not going to get 
uh, you're not going to accomplish in this telehealth world the same as you would if you saw them in a diabetes self-management program or live. So you so having those worked out workflows and the questions and pre-preparing, I feel like you need to pre-prepare more for the telephone and the televisual calls so that you you aren't extending it out and losing their engagement. And also giving them the ability to relate back to you if they, if they didn't get to ask the question that they wanted to ask. Okay, uh, and Christina? So th- this question makes me excited because I think the biggest thing that I want pharmacists to hear, and I agree with what Starlin said, but just to say something a little bit different and kind of more globally, is this is setting us up for new opportunities. We are always looking for ways, at least in my clinic, to expand our services, reach more patients, more effectively reach our patients. And maybe telehealth is going to be an avenue that works phenomenal for some, maybe not as well for others. But I think if we're reaching some better, that's a great platform that we need to get excited about and explore. I'm saying that I I've personally have found Zoom to be a phenomenal platform for our patient population that has been able to be successful with it. So I haven't explored all the different options, but within that, I've been able to, I think, effectively continue the care for some of our patients, which makes me thoroughly excited because I didn't feel handicapped by this pandemic. I didn't feel like our pharmacy services were shut down. And I think one of the biggest things with any of this is being excited about incorporating technology into your practice, whether it be Um, I have a CO2 meter now that I'm using in my people through tobacco cessation, which is a new fun tool for me. We got a DEXA scan for peripheral screening during COVID uh, based on a grant that we applied for. Technology is going to really continue to move us forward. And whether we're talking about telehealth or other avenues, I think just being excited about the options that we can grow as pharmacists and contribute to the healthcare is what I wanted to just kind of stand on that soapbox excited about and use this time for to say. Yeah, I love that. I think it's awesome seeing pharmacists across the country react to this pandemic and how we've been able to push our our profession forward, even though this is such a crazy time. So that's that's great. Uh, and then Jessica, any lessons learned? Yeah, I think that um, the telehealth movement has been a fantastic opportunity for our pharmacists to reach patients that maybe were non-compliant due to transportation issues or having difficulty with, you know, they work and our clinic hours weren't conducive to their work schedule because telehealth kind of threw all of those things out the window. Uh, Sometimes, you know, I'll call a patient for a visit at six o'clock because it works best for their schedule. So those patients that I wasn't able to reach, we've now been able to get to and help them and and get their chronic diseases on track. So I think it's definitely expanded our opportunities. And I would also say to when you're implementing your telehealth services and deciding on what platform is going to work best, I would say let the patient guide you. You know, there's so many platforms available to use, and we have all very diverse patient populations. So asking the patient their preference, would you prefer telephone? Would you prefer to have a video available? Um, At the end of the day, it's their visit, and they should feel just as comfortable using a telehealth service as they would if they were sitting in the office with you. So I want to jump onto that too, because as a pharmacist who's been in practice for 40 years... I want to, I'm very proud of the pharmacist profession because every time we had 
new technology come across, we jumped on it and we integrated it so that we could provide better healthcare for our patients and for for the team. And um, this really, really has been able to allow us to reach out to people. Um, in my program that has been going on since 2005, I had an average of 10 to 15% no-shows in the face-to-face -face world. And in this past four months, we've had 100% people showing up and, and having a call and staying engaged in the program and making uh, even a better relationship with their pharmacists so that they can carry on and have a, a better well-being through this very uh, stressful time. So I applaud all the pharmacists out there and uh, let's keep moving the pharmacy profession forward. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, so that's all the time we have today. I wanna thank Starling, Christina and Jessica for joining us to discuss technology platforms used to conduct our telehealth visits. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.